This morning, we have a special speaker, and she's not just here to help me out because I need to head on over to Bronzeville and preach, but she's a, a great, 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 great friend, and uh, we want to be able to welcome her today. I want to tell you a little bit about her. Brenda is uh, well-known within InterVarsity circles. She has spoken at Urbana and various other conferences. How many of you guys already know Brenda? Clap. Go ahead, clap. Clap. You know Brenda? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Brenda is here this morning, um, and I, Brenda and I have been talking um, since uh, earlier this year about having her come, and uh, we thought that a better Sunday might be when the entire church was here, as in Bronzo, as well as the new community, Logan Square, because I think she has a word that all of us need to hear. So I promised her that we as a staff would listen to the podcast and then bring her back and welcome her back uh, sometime later this year. Brenda is uh, the founder of Salter McNeil Associates, and they exist to help churches as well as other Christian organizations live as reconciled communities. Um, Brenda, how old is the organization now? Oh, we are nine, ten years old. Nine, ten years old. Okay, so they've been at this for a while. And uh, every time Brenda speaks, I know I get blessed and I just want to... Um, I want to know this is going to be a treat for you guys to have Brenda here and speak. So um, I want to pray for her, and then she's going to preach God's word for us this morning. So um, bow your heads with me. God, we thank you and we praise you for our sister. We thank you, Lord, for this instrument of God that's here this morning. And Father, I do believe that you have a word for our church. Yes. We have a word for us, and that Brenda has been sent here, God, to be the deliverer of that message. So we pray and ask, oh God, that you would soften our hearts, that you open our eyes and open our ears to what you would have for us. Father, I also just want to pray this morning. I've been sensing all morning that there's a, I don't know if it's the weather, I don't know if it's uh, people are on spring break, I don't know what it is, but God, I just want to pray right now, and I want to just lift up, oh God, this place, this sanctuary, in the hearts of men and women here. Yes, Father, we come against distractions, whatever they might be, in Jesus' name. We come against even anxiety, worry, confusion, yes. in Jesus' name. We even come against fear, God, yes, in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray this morning. Holy Spirit, as you are already here, that we would enable you to move, we would enable you to minister, enable you to speak, and the best way to do that is to say, God, we are yielded and surrendered to you. So Lord, this morning, pray that you would just take over this place, Holy Spirit of God, sweep through this place, blow in this place like the wind. We claim this space and this place for Jesus and his cause and his glory and no one else. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 All the things that have been said about me, I'm thankful for. But to know me for real is to know that I love God. And so you guys can spectate if you like. I'm going to go in the presence of God because that's what I came to do. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. 
I've been on the road for the last seven days and I'm really tired. And so I worship God because for me, preaching is not about entertaining you or hoping that you like it. It's the call of God on my life. And I do it because it's my act of worship before the Lord. So you guys can jump in if you feel like it. Or y'all can sit there and hang. Either one is fine with me. I'm going to give God my best. I grew up in a church that used to call it your Sunday best because we were poor and we could not have the best Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday, you brought your A game because if anybody deserved your best, we believed that God deserved it. So we dressed up. Amen. We did. We dressed up. We praised God. That's where the hats came from in the black church. It was our way of saying, God, we may be broke. We may not have health care. We may not have insurance. We may not have a great job. But on Sunday, you get the best. We'll bring our best praise. We'll bring our best sermon. We'll put on our best clothes because Jesus, you gave us your best. And I declare on Sunday, we'll give you our Sunday best. And so I still am from that tradition. I come to church for real. For me, this is not entertainment. (laughs) This is my Sunday best. And so when I talked to Peter about my coming here, he said to me, I know you preach all over the country and you get around the world, but I need you to come to new community and I need you to preach a sermon that comes from the heart of God for us. I need you not to do something just because it would be a great sermon. It would really, really hit your A game. I need you to really give us what you believe God has put on your heart for this church. And I promised him I would do that. And so I'm going to be sharing with you out of the book of Acts because I believe this is what God has shared for me to give to you. I'm reading from Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to begin at verse 7. He, Jesus, replied to them in response to their question about when the kingdom would be restored to Israel. He said this. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, we read these words. Beginning at verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages. And as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. 
And, and at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because of each one hearing them speak in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are all those who are speaking not Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? And then they name all the people that are there. And it ends by saying this in verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. And I am thankful. My prayer was a song I sang that these words would be sweet to God. And as I prepared my heart to be with you this morning, I told you I just got back from out of town. I was in Los Angeles. My son is a college student there now. And uh, we had an experience just this past week that reminded me of something that happened to me when my husband and I lived in Pasadena, California uh, for several years. We did. We went to Fuller Seminary and we moved from the East Coast, lived on the West Coast. And it must have been about, I don't know, five or so in the morning. I know it was before day. The sun hadn't come up and my husband and I were sound asleep in our kind of apartment that we had not far from campus and we were in like that Z place where you're between here and the twilight zone. You were so deep into REM sleep. We were in it and then all of a sudden it happened almost without, I don't even know how to describe it. I have never had it happen like this before but it felt all of a sudden like there must have been a train that got derailed or or maybe a Mack truck that somehow veered off of the highway and was coming toward our apartment window. All of a sudden there was this rumbling sound and it was it's, it's hard to even describe it but it felt so intense like it had to be a train or it had to be a truck because everything in our apartment was responding to this rumbling sound that seemed to be coming from nowhere but headed right toward us and it shook me out of my sleep and I realized that our bed was moving and hopping and I turned to my husband who was looking at me and my voice was shaking I wasn't I didn't even know it was but it was the moving of our bed and I said what's happening And he just snatched me out of the bed. No explanation. And he just kind of threw me up to the the door and just said, stand there. And we were experiencing our absolute first earthquake. And it scared me to my core. It shook us up. It woke us up. It made some of us who came from the East Coast question whether or not we should be living on the West Coast. (laughs) Amen. Some people made the decision that they should move and go back home because it was a 6.7, I think, on the Richter scale. And it was absolutely frightening. Last week, there was a 4.4 earthquake in California, and many of us slept through it. But when you have been shaken up, you know it. And so the sermon title for this morning to give us something to hang our collective thinking on is simply that, shake it up, 
shake it up. And I thought about that in light of the earthquake last week and how those types of shaking, earth shaking, unsettling experiences have a way of making us move from where we are to where we think we need to be. It makes us begin to question, should I be living here? Am I in the right place? Should I be someplace else? Do I really feel called to be in this seminary? All of those questions got raised for us because that's what happens when the earth moves under your feet. That's what happens when things get shaken up. It makes you reevaluate your status quo. It makes you question, should I be here or not? Shake it up. Well, in our text, God says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples that he wants them to be world-class Christians. He says to them that not only do I desire this for you, you will be this. Jesus declares, this is going to be so of you and you will be my witnesses. You don't have to worry about when the kingdom's going to be restored to, to Israel. You don't have to keep thinking in your old paradigms, in your old boxes. I know you have a preconceived idea about how this is supposed to happen. You've already dreamed your own dreams about how I'm supposed to show up. Don't you worry about the specifics of how it's going to look. Just know that you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be witnesses, not just where you know and not just where you're comfortable, not just what you, what's familiar to you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and utterly to the utmost parts of the world. Ultimately, you are going to go beyond your wildest imaginations. Now, first of all, what Jesus is saying is this. He says, you're going to start close to what's familiar. You're going to start in your Jerusalem. So know that before things start really moving, you're going to begin on your home turf, the place where you are comfortable, the place where you are known, the place where you show up on a regular basis. It's not going to be that far out of your comfort zone. You are going to be with people you like and people you know you're going to speak their language and they're going to speak yours. Jerusalem, that's going to be the place where you start. And it won't feel like that much of a stretch. But then the circle is going to widen, says Jesus. The circle is going to push you out of the place that is your comfort, the place that you know and the place that you like, the place where the lattes are served just to your liking. You are going to move now from there to a place called Judea. And that will feel a little uncomfortable, but it's also going to have some familiarity. It's going to be subtle differences in Judea that are going to kind of catch your attention. It's going to produce some subcultures or some subgroups who have some particularities in Judea that are not particular to Jerusalem. And it's going to require some acceptance and some flexibility, some adaptability on your part. Uh, Judea is close to home. However, the lifestyle and the cultural strategies are, are, that are going to be expressed there are going to push you a little and cause some new challenges for you. I think about Judea being the place where it's people who look like us and speak our language for the most part, but if the truth be told, if we enter into their subculture, we don't quite get them and they don't quite get us. I feel that so- sometimes when I'm in places where I hear Democrats and Republicans talking. Amen. You know 
know that you know that these people are of the same country. They all are from Jerusalem, but they don't sound like they come from the same place. Are you with me? It, you, you, you almost feel like these people are all speaking English, but are we really communicating at all? Because we see life so extremely different. Jerusalem, Judea. Jerusalem, Judea. That place that is close enough to make us let down our guard because we think it's like home. But once we start pushing past the surface stuff, we realize that there's some differences that hook us and catch us unaware. Judea. But nobody's freaking yet when they hear Jesus say, Jerusalem, Judea. That feels okay. But then he really gets radical. And he says, after you step your foot past Jerusalem into this kind of uncomfortable place where subcultures exist, Catholics versus Protestants, Democrats versus Republicans, people who see life differently, whose sexuality might be different than all those places where we feel like a little bit uncomfortable for me. The next place are really going to wig you out. That's Samaria. Jesus says, Samaria will be that place that's hostile to you. That's the place that there's going to be real reluctance to go. You are going to balk at this one. Unlike Jerusalem and Judea, we don't identify with the folk over there at all. They don't speak our language. They don't eat our food. They don't get our jokes. We are not impressive to them and they are not impressive to us. Samaria, that place where people are other, the worldview is other, their point of reference is others than ours. It's a place where there are power differentials and you start feeling like I'm with the haves or the have-nots and, and everybody looks at each other with a sense of suspicion. Samaria, that place where the otherness and the outsiderness of, of each of us is so apparent that we don't even know how to associate with each other. So we avoid it. We take the freeway or we bypass that neighborhood or we find some way to avoid those folks because they don't get us and we don't get them. We shop in different neighborhoods. We go to different stores. We're concerned about different issues and we just let it stay like that. And Jesus says, I know you don't identify with them. But if you're going to be world-class Christians, my path will take you directly to them. To be witnesses in Samaria and beyond, we're going to have to be aware of the complexity of differences around us. We're going to have to be aware of how much we don't get other people and how much they don't get us. This includes the diversity that comes with nationality and gender and social class and age and ethnicity and politics and religious differences. All those things make this thing a bit messy, if you will. And if the truth be told, it would be easier to hear Jesus say that we should and kind of pray about it, think about it, debate it, talk about it over coffee later. But definitely definitely not do it. <laughs> this notion of the complexity of the otherness is way too hard given the busynesses of our lives, isn't it? So like the disciples, when Jesus leaves and ascends into heaven, though he said, you're going to be witnesses in places you never dreamed or imagined, it would be easier to stay right where we are. 
And that's exactly what the Jews, the, 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 the disciples decided to do. They said, you know, Jesus, we heard you, we get it, but I think we'll go to the upper room and we'll just hang there for a while. That's the proverbial place where we come and gather with people who pray with us, who get us, and we, you know, church. And, and it's not bad, really. It's not bad that we do this, but it's kind of like we stay here. I was talking to a dear friend. Her name is Reverend Elise Barrymore. She pastors on the south side of Chicago, and I love the way she thinks. I love the way she uses the turn of phrase, and I was talking about my my own tendency to stay here, wherever here is. And you think about the word here for a minute. Where are you when you are here? What's here? Chicago's here. My neighborhood is here. The school I attend, that's here. Wherever the United States, that's here. I like it here. Well, when I told her about the here-ness of my life and how much most of us stay stuck here, she said, here is the place on the way to there that distinguishes somewhere from nowhere. I'll run it by you again. She said, Reverend Elise said, Reverend Brenda, here is the place on the way to there that distinguishes somewhere from nowhere. And maybe that's why we like staying here. At least it is somewhere. We can locate ourselves in space and time, can we not? We can say, I'm here. I belong to new community. And we are here in Logan Square. That's where we belong. That's where we are. That's where I go to church. I'm right here. Ah, but here is the place that is on the way to there. there. It simply distinguishes somewhere from nowhere. Here is always a place of transition. Here is always a place of transition. We're not supposed to stay here. Here is always on the way to there. It is the difference between where you are and where you could or should be. Oh, y'all don't hear me. That's a black thing. <laughs> it's the difference between where you are and where you could or should be. It's more than a location. Here represents a moment in time. It's positional and it's emotional. Are you hearing me? It's positional and it's emotional. That's why oftentimes in scripture you would find prophets who were called to do great things for God and God would show up and God would say by God's spirit, what are you doing here? Elijah in a cave cowering and afraid and God would say what are you doing here oftentimes the people of God who were supposed to be on the move for God would find themselves stuck here and God would have to come and bring the prophets of old to talk to the people of God to say you're not supposed to be here you're supposed to move 
God wants us to move from here to there. It's a part of the discipleship process. We're supposed to be people who follow Jesus. It's not supposed to be a a people who stand firm. We're supposed to be a people who stand in Christ as we follow Christ. Movement is a part of the journey of the people of God. And it often requires us moving from this place we know as here, our Jerusalem, our comfort zone, the place we we like best, that moving from here to there often requires that we are shaken up. We don't tend to move by our own volition. Often earthquakes have to happen that cause the earth to move under our feet, so to speak, to actually move us from where we are. In Salter McNeil and Associates, we call these catalytic events. We believe that when the people of God are going to become the reconciled communities that God calls us to be, often we think about it, we pray about it, we even want it. But it's not until God, by God's spirit, comes and shakes us up that we We move from where we are to where we're wanting to go. Oftentimes, it takes us to move from here to there to push us out of the nest. It takes God showing up with catalytic events that absolutely make us move. Now think about this word catalyst for a second. Those of you who are biology majors or chemistry majors, this is where you get to help us out because I have very limited remembrance about my bio days, but I do remember that in my classes we we learned about this thing called a catalyst and we learned that a catalyst is any substance that works to start or accelerate a chemical reaction. Ah, catalyst. It initiates or increases the rate of a chemical reaction, but it is not consumed or altered by the chemical reaction. It stays the same, but it causes a reaction that, that is absolutely uh, momentous. It makes things uh, move forward. It initiates change. It initiates process without the help of a catalyst or a catalyst chemical reaction. Without that, chemical reactions might never occur, or it would take a significantly longer time for the reaction to happen. Most times, A catalyst can be reused over and over again in subsequent reactions. Simply put, now that I've impressed you with whatever scientific knowledge I happen to remember from way back at Rutgers, simply put, catalytic events provide opportunities for movement, period. Catalytic events provide opportunities for movement, Without a catalyst, my brothers and my sisters, we stay stuck in our own comfort zones and our own little ethnocentric circles and our own little homogeneous units. We stay stuck with our own friends. We stay stuck in our own ruts. We stay stuck in our own worldviews. We stay stuck here. Without catalytic events that take us from here to there, we'll stay in Jerusalem. We need catalytic events to move us We need catalytic events to transition us from where we are to where God wants us to be. The place where God envisions us. The place where God calls us into engagement with the culture and the world around us. Catalytic events move us forward and out of our own little worlds. It's the only way that the church will ever be radical. Because our tendency is to stay in the upper room. That's what we would all do. It's human of us. 
So as long as we stay in Jerusalem or, or, or Judea, we can keep relying on the things that we know work. Amen. It's not until I travel abroad that I realize that the jokes I tell when I'm in another country, they don't have any traction because I've learned to tell things that relate to people who like me and who get my culture. And when I'm in another culture, I realize I'm not even as good a speaker there as I am here. And that's why we choose here. We shine here. We excel here. Our education matters here. But there are places where that stuff doesn't play. And people don't care. And they're not impressed with your American Express. They could care less. Amen. They're looking for something else. They need something else. They're praying for something else. And so God says to us, you're going to be radical witnesses. You're going to be radical witnesses for Christ. And if you're going to be radical witnesses, you're going to have to engage the world. And the more you engage the world, the more radical you'll become. Your transformation will happen as you move out, as you start to move past Jerusalem into Judea, into those scary places, the Samarias of our lives. It will begin to make you world class. You don't stay world class because you're here. You become world class when you go there. Do you hear me? That's how we change. I used to think, Carl, that we go places for other people's sake. It's not true. We go there for our sake. God's trying to change the church. Amen. He's trying to change you. You're the one who needs to be changed. And we become changed and transformed as we engage a world that's unlike us. The more we engage the world, the messiness of it, the complexity of it, the more God changes us into radical world-class Christians who represent the kingdom of God. You want to be kingdom citizens? Get out of here and go there. So, here we are, stuck in Jerusalem, up a room, praying about it, worshiping, having a good time. So we're here, and we look so holy here. Amen. Yes, we do. What would not God would, would not God want us to pray? Surely. So we're having a prayer meeting here. We're listening to preaching here. We're coming and we're giving offerings here. We're doing nice stuff here. Not bad stuff. We're not bad people. We're doing good stuff here. But God knows that if we're going to become the people he has in mind, we can't stay here. So all of a sudden, while we're here, God decides to shake it up. Hallelujah. Can you imagine being in a church service when people start catching on fire? Can you imagine that you were just sitting next to your homeboy, knowing him all the time, and you check him out and his hair is aflame? I, 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 I just wish you could just look at your brother and all of a sudden you know he's Chinese and he breaks out in Russian. And you just, you know, it'll just make you take your glasses off and say, now in this, Jose, what are you doing speaking in French? It will absolutely mind blow us out of this room. If God really began to have the earthquake of the spirit show up, God is the catalyst by a spirit. And the spirit called, the, the catalyst called spirit comes into the church to shake us up. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is a catalytic event. 
They're here and they're doing what they know to do. And the whole known world is gathered into Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So people from all languages and all nationalities and all ethnic groups that you can imagine are gathered around in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So as opposed to them going to the world, God sets them up by bringing the world to them. And has that not happened in our country so, so far? Have we noticed that we don't have to take a mission trip anymore to have an encounter with the world? That the world has literally come to our doorstep. That in our neighborhoods, the world surrounds us. And so the world surrounded them. But they were insulated and isolated from the world because they were in the upper room doing holy stuff. Like us. Now Jesus said to them, you're going to receive power. And they liked the thought, but I'm not sure they thought it was going to happen like this. It would be so like with us. When God would say to us, I'm going to empower the church, we would all say, yay, do it, God, do it. I'm going to give you power. Yes, I want it. Yes. Wouldn't we? We would. Let's tell the truth. We don't mind power. But we have our own notions about how it should show up. So perhaps for some of us like them, when we hear that we're going to be empowered as the church, we might think that that's going to be political power or military power or financial power or decision-making power or educational power because information is power. And so when Jesus says, you're going to receive power, we probably say, we down for that power. Yes, sir, send it on. And we will use it responsibly, I promise. <laughs> But it wasn't military power, it wasn't intellectual power, it wasn't technological power, it wasn't political power, it wasn't financial power, it was spiritual power. God does not operate in the currency that we broker in. Hallelujah. God understands that what we think is valuable is not necessarily so. And so God sends spiritual power. Ah, now this kind of power is power that scares us. Ah, if God began to empower us spiritually, that causes us to be out of control. And most of us who like being in control don't like spiritual power because then God's in control. Jesus says it will not be your power. That's why don't ask me about the, the kingdom being returned to Israel because you've already got your ideas about how power is supposed to be handled and used. Let me tell you, when this happens, you're going to be watching me do the work. You're going to be following my lead. It's going to be the spirit of God that will come and empower you. It's not by might, says God, or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So Pentecost comes and the spirit of God falls on the people and they hear their native language with perfect accuracy. Sense. It's as if they were hearing their mamas talk to them. It's that kind of so clear familiarity that the literal translation says it's as if they heard their mother tongue. Do you know that sound that somebody can be calling and saying, come home? I remember playing as a kid and your mom could be calling you and somebody else's mom could be calling them, but you had a sense when your mama's voice was in the crowd, you could stop and kind of go, oh, that's my mom, gotta go. 
That's how familiar, that's how authentic it was for the people who were gathered in Jerusalem that day called Pentecost. It was so unusually accurate and authentic that people were absolutely amazed by the people's ability to speak their indigenous language with such precision that they were absolutely dumbfounded and it left them with their hands dropped and their mouths agape and they simply said, what does this mean? What's going on? It was like that morning in that bed in Pasadena, California, when I didn't even have language, I couldn't even make my brain wrap a phrase together. I simply said, what's happening? And that's what happened that day. The earthquake of God shook them up and it woke them up and they began to ask new questions. What does this mean? When God shows up, it forces us to ask new questions. Should I be here? Is this the place I've been called to? Or am I ready to run and leave? Should I go back to the East Coast or was I called to this place? Am I supposed to get involved here or am I supposed to just be on the fringe here? What does this mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for us? What's happening? And that's the question being asked all around the church. All around the church, people are trying to make sense of life and they're asking us, what does this mean? What's happening with immigration? What does this mean? Why do we have so much diversity in the world today? What does this mean? Why can't people get along in the Middle East? What does this mean? What's happening? Are we supposed to run from diversity and the complexity? Or is there a way that people could actually get along together? What does this mean? Does the political world know how to fix it? Does the social world know how to fix it? Does the church have an answer? What does this mean? That's why I'm so thankful. I've been studying the book of Acts. And I'm so thankful that as I looked at Acts chapter 1, I saw something I've never seen before. That before the day of Pentecost, after Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, the very next thing that they do in the upper room, I thought all they did was pray. They also chose leaders. They said, you know what? Judas has bit the dust. He, 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 he was a traitor. He he betrayed Jesus. He betrayed the way. Now there's not 12, there's only 11, and we've got to pick somebody to replace him. I don't know how they knew that leadership would have to be in place before we could move out of here, but they knew that the first thing we have to do is to have leaders in place. And I want to say to you out of my spirit this morning that it is necessary for the right people to be in the right place before God begins to move catalytically in the earth. That's why what your pastor said to you this morning, and I'm telling you, I'm not on a commercial for your pastor. I just want you to know this, that it is true that the day of bench warmers is over because we need leadership to be in place so that when people say, what does this mean? There are people who are ready to stand up to the front like Peter and say, look, this is that that was prophesied by God. We are not out of control. This is not because we're drunk. We don't have to be afraid of diversity or the complexity. God is in control. Where are the leaders in the church? 
Peter was a rookie. He had never given a public sermon before. But when catalytic events shake us up, it makes us move from here to there. And before you knew it, he was standing in the place that God saw him in his whole life. You're no longer going to be wishy-washy. You're going to be solid as a rock. And on that day, he became who God said he is. You will be my rock, Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And I tell you something, he gives the sermon of his life. Like a rookie, he just told the straight truth and just said, look, you know what happened to Jesus. And you know they crucified him on the cross and they killed him. Jews, we did not accept him. But this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. He said that God was going to pour out God's spirit on everybody. Jews and Greeks. Males and and females, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit, says God, in the last day upon all flesh, on everybody. Your sons and your daughters will be empowered to speak for me. They'll prophesy on my maid servants and on my men servants. Socioeconomic differences will not matter, says God. And Peter said, you want to know what this means? This is that. This is that day when gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomics, politics, nationality does not divide the people of God. It was prophesied and it's here. And so thousands were brought into the church and a new movement was born. A multinational, multilingual, multi-ethnic community called the church. And that's exactly what it was always intended to be. And that's why God had to shake us up. And I want to say to you as I get ready to close this thing, I wanted to come by this church to tell you that I believe catalytic events are in our future. And I simply wanted to help you to prepare yourself for them. So leaders, step one, you need to get in your place. Because God gives us an opportunity to make sure that the right people are in the right spot before the day of Pentecost happens. So that when the people need an explanation, leaders are ready to answer the questions that will rise from that moment. Are you hearing me? If so, just say out loud, everybody, yes, I hear you. That's important, step one. Step two, I want you to begin to anticipate catalytic events in this church. I've prayed for you, and now I'm not just preaching a sermon. I'm telling you what I believe God has told me. I believe that wherever we pray for the movement of God to come, thank you so much. Wherever we say, God, we want to be world-class Christians, we're ready to move from here to there, I want you to start getting ready for catalytic things to start happening. And as opposed to being scared, and as opposed to running back to the metaphorical East Coast, I want you to ask yourself the question, step two, am I really supposed to be here? Is this where I'm supposed to be investing myself? Because catalytic events will make you ask the question, should I stay or should I go? Some of the people in seminary with me, their answer was, I'm out of here. I am back to Philadelphia. I am back to Boston. I am back to New Jersey. And I get it. Because they were sightseeing in L.A. And when it got too catalytic, too shaky, they thought, I got to go. 
For some of us, we were scared and our knees were knocking and we decided we couldn't leave because I was called to seminary and my future rolled on my being there. And so it moved me. I asked some questions, but it didn't make me run. As the things start happening in your church that are gonna be catalytic, for some of you, it's gonna make you decide if church is a radical place for you to be a radical Christian or if it was a comfort place for you to hang out and drink coffee. Now, I ain't mad at nobody. If you like drinking coffee, drink coffee. But the church is about to become the church. And it's gonna shake us up so much that who's not ready for church is gonna be identified. So get ready to figure out who wants to be church and who wants to just come to church. Because there's a big difference between being the church and coming to church. Are you hearing me? The third thing I want to say to you, and I wish all of this was in my notes. This is me talking to you right now from God, right? After you start anticipating these catalytic events and start looking for them, I want you to know that I believe what God is wanting to say. And then I've got one last thing. This is a little bit of setting up for this last point. I think when we see things get hard and when we see things get shaky, it makes us wonder, is God in this? Maybe, maybe this is not God because it's starting to get shaky and hard. Remember that a catalyst, the whole purpose of it is to push us toward the vision, to push us out of the place where we are. It is intended to move us. Catalysts ignite a starting, a process. Your church is in a process. You've been praying about being a new place in Chicago, an alternate reality. You're going to get what you've been asking for. So just fasten your seatbelts because the way you get there is God shakes it up. Did you hear what I said? That's a part of the answer to prayer. So don't start thinking, maybe we should pull back. Maybe this is not God. No, the fact that it's moving is God. And here's my last thing for you. The Bible says when Jesus left his disciples, he said, and you will be my witnesses. Now for all my life, whenever I read that, I always read the word you as singular and you will be my witnesses. But that word is plural. You collectively, you together, you in all of your differences, you with all of your hangups, you as a body of believers, you will be my witnesses. We can't be God's witnesses in isolation. We can't be God's witnesses as individuals by ourselves. We were intended to be a collective. We were intended to be the body of Christ, not the person. We're supposed to be a unit who is in unity with each other. It's our unity. It's our ability to be the people of God across our gender differences, across our racial and ethnic and cultural differences. The more we operate as a unified team, the more we function as the witnesses of God and you will be my witnesses. So my final word to you is find a way to do it together. Oh, stop trying to be this individualistic, isolated person who just comes and sits in a crowd. We together have to do this.
So do it together. Be God's witnesses together. Decide to join stuff where you really enter community. Argue with each other and learn how to make up with each other. Learn how to press into the differences that are in this body so that you're not just in the room sitting next to each other, but you're literally a group of people who know each other and trust each other. That's who the Spirit of God will use. Those of us who do it together. And you will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, new community, and you will be God's witnesses in Chicago and in the surrounding communities and in the places you don't want to go and the people you don't like, and ultimately you will be a church that will send people around the world. You, yes, you. And it will not happen in your own power and it won't be happening because you're so smart or cute or whatever else we think distinguishes us. It won't be because you're so wealthy and it won't be because you're so articulate. It will be because God will send the Holy Spirit. It will not be by our might nor our power. It will not be because our technology is so slamming. It'll be because we collectively trusted God and we allow the catalytic events that God will send to shake us up and to move us from here to there in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand up? I'd love to pray for you. I appreciate you listening. If you don't mind, I would love you guys to bow your heads. I told you when I came I was going to bring my Sunday best and this is my absolute Sunday best so I'm not kidding around and I hope that you are serious about being in the room with me Lord God in the name of Jesus we didn't just come to church we want to be the church And we understand now, God, that in the world in which we're living and in this church, you're going to start shaking things up. So right now, God, I sense that in some people's lives, this gives some clarity around some of the stuff that's been happening in their workplace, on their jobs. For some people, there's been a season of kind of like a shaking up and you've been wondering what's going on. I don't know who I'm talking to, but if you'll raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you. If that's true, God bless you. I believe it. I wouldn't say it if I didn't. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. 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 Lord God, for every person, you can put them down for every person who raised their hands. I pray for them. And I pray for their faith to increase. And today I believe, Lord God, that you have given them a new perspective and a new way of viewing what's been going on in their lives. Lord God, this difficulty, this transition, this pushing, this catalytic momentum, this uh, shifting under their feet, Lord God, is causing them to ask themselves some very important questions. And for some people, Lord God, those questions are going to lead them to new places and it's going to be a good thing. And for some people, Lord God, that, that shifting and that shaking is going to make them say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm supposed to be where I am and I know it now. No more fear and no more confusion. I thank you, Lord God, for bringing people into our lives that help us to know what does this mean. 
and who answers that question for us. And I pray for this collective body called New Community. I pray for a fire to break out in this church. And I pray that you would come against complacency, Lord God. I pray that you would literally cause the day of Pentecost to metaphorically happen in this church. That it will literally set people on fire. That they will, they'll know what it means to really be fired up newfound enthusiasm, newfound passion. In the name of Jesus, I lose passion in this church. I lose a sense of passion. And Lord God, I say that new ministries are going to rise up. New things are going to start happening, not because somebody asked somebody to do it, but because their passion is going to fuel them toward it. In the name of Jesus, and they'll create new ideas and new models and new ministries, God, because their passion will not let them stand alone. I believe that that's going to happen here. God. And I thank you for the passion of God that's going to consume this church. And I thank you, God, that it's going to go beyond their wildest imaginations. I thank you, Lord God, that just like you said to the disciples, it would go beyond their, their, the uttermost parts of the world. There's going to be some world-class things that happen and some world-class people who come, people from other nations, Lord God, will find themselves in this place asking themselves, how do I become a part of this community of people who want to change the world? I thank you for it and I believe you for it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.